Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 12. Chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. How has God gifted you? We want to look at three things today. Three gifts God's given you. Uh, God has changed your identity. God has uh, put his spirit in you, which is no small thing. And God has gifted you, believe it or not. Listen, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way, and he shows us that way in chapter 13 the way of love, and we'll be looking at it. I think there's three things you need to see in the passage. He starts off by saying the body of Christ is composed through a work called the baptism by the Spirit. And uh, growing up as a Pentecostal boy, we were taught that uh, we, uh, often would be a question, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues. 
because we equated Acts 2-4, they were filled with the Spirit, spoke in tongues. We interchangeably used the word the baptism of the Spirit with filling of the Spirit, and the big push was tongues was the physical, visible evidence that this had happened to you. Now, the only problem, it left Billy Graham out. It left out a lot of people because if that is the evidence, then only those who talked in tongues could be said to have been baptized into the body of Christ because they equated it with power, uh, equated it with a lot of other things. But notice what he says, the first thing he's given to every believer, verse 12, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in, and it's really better, by the instrumentality of one spirit, we were all baptized into one baptistry tank. Is this baptism wet or dry? Yeah, it's a wet baptism. Every time you see baptism, don't think of it as water. There's three dry baptisms, and there's three wet ones. They were baptized into Moses, 1 Corinthians 10. That's dry. God the Son's going to baptize you in fire. That's dry. I'm going to baptize you by the Spirit. That's dry. John the baptized baptized. John the Baptist baptized in water. Jesus was baptized in water. Believers baptisms in water. But here this baptism, which was a word in the Greek language, meant to be immersed into something so completely that you're identified with it. There's the idea. Immersion represented identification with. So he says, you have been baptized into Christ. It's not your water baptism. Water baptism should celebrate this and should understand this. Now, let me show you some remarkable things. This baptism, from now on, identifies you with the body of Christ, and I want you to see the implications. Look at your new identity. Uh, go to Galatians 3. Galatians 3. And notice verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you're supposed to yell back if I can't say the word. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And this means as a garment, you put on Christ. If you've been immersed into Christ, you have put Christ on as a garment. Now watch this. With this garment on you, notice what it removes in the sight of God. Notice this. This is, be very careful. There is neither Jew nor Greek. You mean, now that I'm in Christ, my ethnicity's destroyed? I'm no longer a Jew nor a Gentile? Well, in reality, you retain that but God has changed your identity now so that your primary identity is, I see you in Christ. 
You ought to say, first of all, not your race, not your gender, not your ethnicity. What supersedes all of that stuff is, I am a Christian. I'm in Christos. And if you elevate the others to be equal, you're into idolatry. You're in love with your ethnicity. You're in love with your gender. You're in love with your social class. You're an idolater. You can love all kinds of stuff. We are in Christ. And when I meet you, if I meet you, I don't care. I've been in Morocco with Christians. I'm going to India in February. As soon as I meet somebody and they tell me they're in Christ, I forget gender, ethnicity, and social class. I just met a brother. I met a sister. That's all done away with. We're immediately related. And all this other is just the kids play in a fallen world. I'm, I'm better than you because I'm richer, poorer, darker, lighter. What's this got to do? This is the new identity of the people of God. And he goes on to say, uh, there's not even slave nor free. There's no male and female. Now, don't get mixed up at the restrooms. We have male and female. <laughs> but this is in Christ as your new identity. He looks upon you not on the basis of gender. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Does that mean I'm Abraham's offspring? Yeah, because I'm in Abraham's greater seed, the Messiah. I'm in the Messiah. How could I be anti-Semitic? I'm in a Jewish Messiah. Did you know that? Gentiles, amen. You are in Christ who is the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. We are in Christ, and so I am an inheritor of God's blessings to the people of faith, right? So the baptism changes your identity, and secondly, it changes your history. Turn with me to Romans 6. Romans 6. I gotta, people never look at the baptizing work of the Spirit, so I have to explain it a little bit here. Romans 6. I'm listening. I hear no paper. And, and if you have electronic thing, throw it to the ground, stomp it, and turn pages. I want pages, Hurtado. I mean, all these years I think, oh, look at him. All right. He's always over there texting, and, you know, he's taking notes. I, I know that, but I still accuse him in my mind. I think he's writing to Meredith. Uh, Romans 6, uh, 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, and most make it water baptism, I take water baptism to be the symbol of the real thing. It's the ritual, as it were, of the reality. Here's the reality. Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ, and if you want to count that from the day of your water baptism, as long as you know this truth, you were baptized into his death. Wait, wait, wait. You have been identified with the death of Christ now. Okay. It's one thing that Christ died for my sins. It's another thing to say, I died with him. And Romans 6 says, I died with him. Watch this. Do you see that? I've been baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, 
In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old man was crucified with him. Now, it's one thing he died for me, but I died with him. Do you see it? Is crucified a past tense or present? When did you die? I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, most believers don't know this. They don't believe it, and they don't act like it. My history, my history, according to Romans 5, I'm in the new man, not the old man, Adam. My identity, I've been taken out of Adam. I've been immersed into Christ so that God doesn't even look on me on the basis of my ethnicity, my gender, my social economic status. And here he says, you've got a brand new history. I no longer see you fallen in Adam. I see you risen in Christ. That is your new identity. You have died with Christ. And the rest of the chapter is saying, People who identify with being crucified with him now walk in a new kind of life with him. This is what the baptism of the Spirit establishes, a new union, a new identity, and a new history. He says something else he gives us in verse 13 as a gift of the Spirit. Not just the baptism. He gives us the Spirit as a drink. All were made to drink of one Spirit. And I understand this to be the regenerating work where when you're born again, regenerate means to beget life again. Uh, when my new birth came about, and as a permanent reminder, it, the Spirit has come in. So he's telling them two gifts. All have been immersed in the body. All have been made. Now, he's going to go on to say that all have been talked in tongues but all have been immersed in the body. All have been made to drink. And so what's he saying about drink? What's this idea? You remember what he said to the woman at the well? He said, you're getting water that will leave you thirsty again. I offer you a drink that shall quench your thirst forever. He said in John 7, on the great day of the feast, of which they celebrated uh, fountains and a lot of things were going on in Jerusalem at this time. And he said, um, you know what? Uh, I'm going to put in you someday a river of living water that will spring up in your inner being. Why do you call it living water? Well, there's dead water and there's living water. The Dead Sea, they knew about it. Living water begets life. Did you know you can die of thirst in the midst of the Atlantic Ocean? It's not fit for consumption. And living water is water that's alive. He told Israel in Jeremiah 2, you've committed two sins. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and you've created cisterns that hold no water. You abandoned me to make your own source, and your own source cannot meet your need. That's man's idolatry. We abandon the living God and complain that we're empty. How can we be anything but empty? And so here Jesus comes and says, 
I'll give you this living water. But this he spake of the Holy Spirit, which was to be given to those who believe. But this could not happen until he had first gone to the cross and been raised and glorified. So the gift of his resurrection and his death is the Spirit of God will be like living waters in the midst of our people. You know, there's a, in Protestants, there's a group known as two-stage Christianity. You get saved, but just being saved leaves you powerless, leaves you defeated, worldly, carnal. And in the midst of that, uh, over church history, we've developed a second stage where you need to get the Holy Ghost at one stage, or uh, you need uh, the baptism, you need to get filled, you need the Spirit is how it developed. You know what the problem is? We got it way back here, never did know exactly what we got. And what we're doing is grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, but you were given the Spirit. It's your birthright as a believer. I've been immersed into Christ, all of us. I've drank of this fountain of Christ, so I have the Holy Spirit in me. So there's no excuses for my worldliness. There's no excuses for a cold heart. There's no excuses for the drift. That's just my depravity at work of which I need to seek God's face. But I've got all the resources I need when I receive Christ. I must just yield myself to it and make sure I know of it. Now, the third gift he gives, he's giving you spiritual gifts. That is the theme of the chapter. Let's pick it up. He says now in verse uh, 14, the body does not consist of one member but of many. And he's not giving us an anatomy class. He's giving us analogy. He's just wanting us to figure out our giftedness. Now, he says something here. In verses 15 through 19, through a humorous analogy, he's got the members of the body talking, and we have this conversation. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. And the ear says, if I can't be an eye, I don't want to hear anymore. That would make it any less a part. We have favorite parts of the body. Isn't it amazing that the only part of you that we really want to see is about one-twentieth of what you are? Have you one more? The rest is just too hard on our eyes. I mean, I didn't fall in love with my wife's lungs. Never seen them, but I hope she has them. We got a lot of members in our body that aren't attractive. I tell you, when you take anatomy and biology and you use microscopes to look at body parts, go, wow, this is an ugly piece of work. Even the blood is enough. We, we see very little. And what's tough, even what is exposed, gravity has a way <laughs> of carving. I just saw Joan Rivers the other night after her 20th facelift. Uh, she's due again. <laughs> you know, I saw a show here the night on plastic surgeons. How many people in Hollywood... I mean, everything from bust to face to, they were changing the size of their lips, their nose. Uh, uh, 
we got to have a lot of help to look good. But in the body, he's got this analogy going that one member, can you imagine the foot, says, I'm tired. I'm the one that has to stay in the dirt all the time. If I can't be a hand, I don't want to be a foot. And he's telling them, this is insane body talk. It is the inferiority of one member of the body. If I don't have these gifts, if I don't have the sensational gifts, if I don't have the upfront maybe functions, I must not be needed. Uh, I don't like my function. You may not like uh, the parents you were given. You may not like the pecking order. You know, I wish I was the oldest, the youngest, whatever. There's so many things we're handed that we never were given. Uh, you'll never be any happier to get where you want to go until you're happy where you are. Oh, that's so good, recorded. Uh, I've seen this in folks in church shopping. They're always church shopping. They're not worth spit to build a church, but, but they're, they're great shoppers. They, they, they know all the best. And all the, some people belong to three churches, one for music, one for youth group, and another, they have short sermons. That always attracts. If you're a short sermon searcher, uh, during the coffee break, feel free to, you know, search. Uh, because they're miserable anyway. Because you've got godliness with contentment is not American, but it is godly. And he's telling them, just because you don't think you're significant, just because you don't think uh, you have a very worthy contribution, you don't get to decide. The head decides your place. And he decided to die for you. You must not be insignificant in his plan. To put you in this body anywhere is to be elevated above all kings, just to be in the body. Could you imagine if you told Isaiah, if, if you even told him, Isaiah, by the way, I'm going to be in the body of the Messiah. He said, the desert heat has ruined your mind. You're out of your head. Messiah will die for his people but he's never going to put a people in him. Yes, he is. Because he never saw the church. And did you know that Jew and Gentile will be on level ground in a Jewish Messiah? Because he's our Messiah too. And we didn't even know we need the Messiah. I had to have the Jewish prophets tell me I need a Messiah. I need a king ruler. And I got in. How did you get in? Well, I'm Gentile. Well, that's a good reason for you not to get in. Because you Gentiles are pagan idol worshipers. How do I get in? Why would God want you in the body? What have you brought to it? Are you a wart? Or are you a functioning member? There's no warts. There's no cancer cells. There's living members bought by the blood of Christ. He bought you a function in the body of Christ, it is using of his church, the body, but to call it his very body so that I've composed it, I am the head of it, whatever touches it, touches me, 
You are in the body if you're in Christ, for the Spirit immersed you. You didn't feel it. You wouldn't know it if you didn't have Scripture. But whoom, you're put in the body. The Spirit is put in you. And at that time, God gave you a gift that is developed over time. I've got a divinely designed function I want to complete through you in the body. And if you remove your function, there will be lapse in the body. There will be vacancies in the body because nobody is just like you. And the gifts don't operate apart from a body. If your body's not available, who cares what gift you've got? You can be the best singer in the place, but if you're bitter and you're not available, who cares? You'd be the best musician. Oh, we have people come out, oh, I play instrument, I do this and that. Are you available? Are you fit to be on the platform to play an instrument? Are you playing at Joe's bar? The gift comes wrapped up in a body, a body surrendered to the will of God. If he doesn't have your body, we'll never get to see your gift because they're tied together. You are the gift. The gift is in you. I had a man one time, he looked at me, he said, you are the ministry. And I tried to argue, he said, no, you are the ministry. The gift doesn't op operate apart from you, a person, a personality, a walk with God, a love of you, Howard, you're the ministry that he wrapped up a gift. That's why every gift is different. Every gift, there could be 20 people in this place with a gift of mercy, but it will break out different ways because there's different personalities, different makeups. And what's amazing about gifts, some of you see 80 things we ought to be doing in this church. I don't even like to talk to you because I don't see them and I don't want to see anymore, but it's amazing what you see. Guess what? It's part of your gifting. Now the next thing is, are you available? See, eyes that see that will never move the hands and feet to do. All we get is good observers and critics, but we never get any workers. So he says to these people, stop this self-talk that says I'm not needed because I'm not in a flashy or more prominent place. Then he picks up verse 21. In verse 21 uh, to 24, uh, he takes a different attitude, and that is a superior member saying, I don't need the so-called inferior members. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Well, okay, head, walk somewhere. <laughs> On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Uh, and some take the weaker to be maybe that which is covered, the internal organs that are very susceptible if they were exposed. And those parts of the body that we think are less presentable, we give them greater modesty. We spend a whole lot of money trying to clothe ourselves. And please keep it up. <laughs> uh, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Okay? That there be no division in the body. So he's saying, you can't ever say, I don't need you. I had a painful friendship one time that a man told me that the reason we were having a drift in our friendship is he said it just candidly and honestly. He said, 
I think I've got all I can get out of you. It was just so straightforward that I didn't even know how to respond. Later, I choked him in my mind. But he was just, just I want to be, Phil, I, I love you. I've been with you a lot of years. You, you can't contribute anymore to me, so we can't really have a close friendship because it's based on me getting from you. Well, it's good to know. Uh, and there's a lot of people come like that in your life. They're there just to get what they can from you. They don't want to contribute. They don't want to interchange. I love to get with people I don't have to fix. And they're not trying to fix me. And that we could just enjoy each other. Do you know what I mean? There are not many that know, do you? About three of you. <laughs> Everybody I know wants something. Well, that's true. But while they're young, you have to still feed them or the law will get you. Um, but there's some relationships that I just love to meet people that we're just there for each other. We're just, that's why you love to meet strangers. You don't owe them a thing, and you hope they don't find out what you make. And you just talk. But there's some people, it's always got to be getting something, getting something. But there's this attitude of superiority that some could say, well, I don't need you. You can't do anything for me. Uh, I'll tell you, some of you act that way because you've never been really sick. You need a good bout of sickness. Or somebody needs to take your temperature. Or somebody needs to empty a bedpan. And all you've got between your needs and help is this little buzzer right here. The last back surgery I had, I was in surgery 11 hours. I was on my face so long that I burned off all my beard under here. It took me a long time. I, I, I don't know what restorer, hair restorer I bought, but any, I didn't buy anything really. But I burned all this off because I laid on that operating table so long. It burned all my beard off. And um, by the time I was in recovery, it was a nightmare because I got the wrong shift. It was a bunch of, I felt like teeny boppers, more interested in dating the nurse because they were in a little pool there. I ain't going to tell you anymore. I just, I just, oh, if I was well, I'd go over there and smack them. <laughs> but they'd care less. The midnight shift is terrible, and I'm in pain. I've, I've been in surgery. I'm, I'm out of my head. I'm, I'm miserable. But... God brought Rebecca the next day, and she got me help and became the boss. All these nurses take care of her dad. That was great. But then about the second day, they turned me over to Phyllis. And uh, Phyllis happened to be an orthopedic nurse assigned to me, an absolute angel from God. You love it when you're sick that somebody takes you serious, that you're not number eight that they have to check on. And she did that. Her smile, her uh, manner, her professionalism. Uh, I want to tell you, we exchanged Christmas cards. And every time I go to that hospital, I look Phyllis up and I hug her because she also took care of my daughter, Rebecca. 
she was, uh, you see, I never met her before in my life, but I needed her. I guarantee you I've got more education. I think I make more money, and I know I'm whiter because she's an African-American. But I want to tell you, I look up Phyllis every time and plant one right there, and I hug her, and I always call her, next to my wife, you are a divine angel to take care of a sick man. You look wonderful, Phyllis. I didn't check to see if her teeth were straight. Big ears, small ears, small nose. No, no, no. She met needs in my life when I was desperate. And in the body of Christ, he's saying, oh, don't ever think you won't need their help someday. They were getting on to a minister who was shaking hands with a bunch of preachers he's preaching to and before he preached. And, and were, he was a pastor of a large church and uh, they said, why are you spending all your time meeting all these pastors? They're, they're small church pastors. And uh, said, you don't need them. And the preacher said, well, you don't know how many of them helped get me to where I am today. And you never know when I may have to decline the stairs and I may need them on the way down. You never know when you may need someone to do the least little things for you. And so in the body, he says, uh, both sides. The inferior can't say you're not needed. That's insane talk. It's an antibody talk. You get it? Antibody. Good. Catch it. I have to underscore everything good I say. Um, it says here, point is weak. Get loud. That's why I shout my sermons. Um, that, uh, and then you don't get over here and say, I don't need these other peddly folks. No, no, no. He says there's something marvelous about the body. Uh, the body is not to be divided over gifts, but we're to have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. I would that was true. If one member is honored, the rest will be envious. Oh, all, all rejoice together. You see, shared sorrow is half sorrow. Shared joy is double joy. When you share your joy, you double it. Hope you make some other people happy with it. When you share your sorrow, you cut it in half. You know what's wrong with much modern church life? It's not really body life. We uh, drag in, we run out, and we hope we don't get to know anybody. And we do a good job of it. And we call that, I belong to a church. Well, when do you suffer with anybody in this church? You don't want to know, do you? Or maybe you do. We've got a deacon and his wife that I can name you about three or four families that have been uh, ministering to them, everything from cutting the lawn to buying groceries to being the cab driver. It's not their father, it's not their mother, but it is their brother and their sister in the body of Christ. And if one suffers, we all uh, say, hope you get over it. 
See, you, you think it's something, uh, let me tell you about being a pastor. I got enough family issues, because I, I have a large family still, and with 10 grandchildren. If I didn't do anything but pray for my grandchildren, I got my plate full. But the next thing is, I'm the body of Christ. I'm a pastor, and I get paid to be good. You're good for nothing. No, that didn't come out right, did it? I, I, wait, okay. Uh, you know, I get paid to care. You, you can't pay a man to care. He could fake it. He could try it. But, and sometimes my care fuse burns out. Sometimes Donna says in the office, she said she had an ailment with sharing. She said, I hate to share it. There's so many burdens that come through this office. Every Friday or Wednesday, we pray for all these needs. Got a young couple in the church just lost their home for children. Uh, got to be re relocated by December 15th. Where do you move a man and a wife and four children? We got a family taking care of three precious boys while they're figuring out their own mortgage. Uh, we don't want to care, do we? That you might lose sleep over that. That give you indigestion. The body is made. That's why they did so much hospitality in the early church. Their brothers and sisters were fleeing Rome or fleeing Jewish authorities that got cost them their job. And when they come to your house, the early church says, you've got a house as long as we've got one. We've got something to eat, you eat, because we will share suffering together. And if one rejoices, we'll all rejoice. Had a woman, a precious woman by the name of Leona, used to come to this church. And uh, Leona got, uh, she and a, a good friend of her, Sally, decided they were going to go to another church. That was the last word I got. So uh, that, that happens all the time. We love you when you come, and we do our best to love you when you leave. But we're ticked for a month. <laughs> but anyway, I knew she'd left, and so fine. And you know, when, they, when you leave, you're no longer under our direct care, right? One less person to take care of. Well, I was up at Long's one day, and there was Leona, and precious, precious gal. And, hey, Leona, how you doing? I hadn't seen her in a long time. Good, and everything. And, and she said, oh, pastor, you know, still pastor. Said, wait, 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 you're not out of the church. Relieve me of that duty. And not pastor, I've been so sick. Yeah? Tell me about it. A, uh, a woman who'd been widowed for years? Yeah, I've been so sick that for a month, I, I couldn't hardly even open a can of soup. And I, I was alone. I, I could have died by myself, and I could have, the loneliness, and no one to help, and this and that. I said, well, where in the world, where in the world was your church? I said, oh, pastor, I still go to Valley. I said, Leona, you and Sally left, and I understood you're going to this other church. Oh, no, we just visited a few times. Valley's my church. By George, this is the best church in town. And I said, and you're dying underneath our nose. I said, you're old enough to be my mother, so I, it'd be a shame to spank you here in the in lawns. But this grieves me, Leona. I got dozens of people that would have cooked for you, would have changed your sheets, would have taken your temperature, 
and we could have cared for you and loved you and suffered with you. You're too precious a woman to be dying alone. We suffered together. The way this church rallied, I never thought I could ever hold together and bury my sister mother. But this church, you suffered with us. You became our comfort. You were our joy. You uh, reminded us of the greatness and of the reward we've got in heaven. There's nothing like the body of Christ. And what is lost in much church life, it's what I don't like about being the pastor of a larger church. And God, I hope you don't send me to a smaller one. I kind of used to it. But, but you know, don't take it. Lord, don't. It's just a, kind of an illustration. <laughs> because he could change my marching order at any moment. Uh, what I loved about when we began, we, it was so much body life. We had to get people to quit giving money to each other because everybody wanted a tax receipt at the end of the year, but you've got to give it to the church. Now, if you want to give me some money direct, but I won't give you a receipt. You can ask go through the church. So we had to ch- but in our church, with all these young people, and everything, they were learning to give. And if they knew somebody's out of a job or if they knew something like this, I, I mean, these are hippie kids. These are kids coming out of the drug code. Man, they're giving money. They're paying rent. Say, who taught you to do this? You hated God and hated church. Why all this? I'm glad I'm in the body. I care. This is my brother. It was like a fever in our church. They would sniff out a need and boom. There'd be so many checks, so many dollars exchanged because they cared for one another, prayed for one another. We knew one another. What's the deception about getting larger? We look good, but we might not be experiencing community where we care for one another. And some of you, that's what's missing in your Christian life. You like sermons, you stand the music, and the temperature's pretty good today, but you don't know much about body life. You don't know how to care. We need you. But you're telling us you're not good enough to help us. Anything looks good when you're bad off, when you're suffering. Even the gift of mercy, who never gets on the stage, it's all the mouth gifts that get up here. The mercy people we always see in the background. We got a couple in this church. Just kills me sometimes. I teach at this seminary in Vallejo, and sometimes I see Bob Kennedy and his wife over there. I say, hey, you go to our church. What are you doing over here? So God put it in my heart. They need someone to empty the baskets, clean the toilets, and help keep the place clean, and I do this for Jesus. Bob, all the service you do, you do it now the Bible. Pastor, I can use my body anywhere I want for the cause of Christ. So why don't you unwrap your gift and see if one of these are your gift. Are you an apostle? Please don't say yes. (laughs) That man back there is derelict. Push his hand down. Uh, A prophet? Please don't even claim that. Teachers? Do we have any teachers in the place? Okay. So they're afraid now. Uh, Miracle workers, if you are, 
sign right be in the foyer. Some people, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. What a remarkable ability to speak in languages you didn't know. Now, he asked the question, which in the Greek expects a negative, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. No, no, no. You don't have all the gifts, but you've got a gift. You might not be the spectacular. You may not be a verbal. You might not be a part of the face representation of the body of Christ. You might be a hidden lung. I wouldn't say liver, but lungs is okay. You need it all. You need it all. And so in the body of Christ, rejoice that you're in it. Admit you need every member. We need you. If you just bury it, the church won't die because we have a glorious head that has not withheld himself. He has given himself completely to the point of death to create this body, and he will not let it die just over one member that will not function. He maintains us even when you don't function. It's his spirit and it's his authority that keeps the church going. Even when your heart gets cold and even when you bury your gift, the church keeps going. But you're losing every reward. And uh, I didn't get to tell you that great uh, story there last week that when uh, Oliver Cromwell took over the throne of England, they ran out of uh, silver for coinage. And so he sent his soldiers out and said, go find silver. We need to make some more coins. And so they searched, and they came up with a cathedral in London, and they came back to him, and they told him, the only silver we could find is the statutes of the saints standing in the corners of the cathedrals. His answer was, good, we'll melt down the saints and put them into circulation. And some of you, you're frozen statutes. You need the melting work of God to put you in circulation. The only reason I serve, the only reason I serve is Calvary conquered my heart. It's the only reason I serve. Because I preach when they didn't pay. And I will preach again if you don't pay. There's no, there's no question. I'm going to preach, I'm going to teach, and I'm going to exhort whether I'm ever on a payroll I've been gifted to do it, and I'm going to do it until I take my last breath for the glory of God.